any of the patterns work for you, you have to have the talents to do whatever that pattern requires. Yes. And you, in doing the pattern over and over, you are practicing that, that skill or that set of skills. There's a whole set of skills. Yeah. For Welcome to the 1000 Day Sober Podcast. My name is Lee Davey. I am not an alcoholic. I refuse to be anonymous. I am someone that doesn't drink alcohol. And I am also an amazing father, husband, son, friend, leader, lover, and master coach, and spend every minute of my day helping people live kick-ass lives like right now. Today, I'm just going to jump straight into it. Uh, my guest is Stephen Kessler, who's been studying people his whole life. And for over 30 years, he's been a licensed psychotherapist studying many different healing modalities and maps of personality, including character structure, the Enneagram, NLP, energy work, four-field therapy, and EFT. Stephen has spent many years studying the evolution of human consciousness as well. For over 30 years, he has pursued various spiritual and meditation practices, including 16 years in the Diamond Heart Meditation School. Since 1984, Stephen has taught hundreds of groups and workshops in the U.S. and internationally, helping men and women heal their wounds and grow into their full adult selves. From 2006 to 2010, Stephen left his private practice for two to three months a year to work on U.S. military bases, both in North America and overseas, helping soldiers and their families heal the wounds of war. His best-selling book, The Five Personality Patterns, deepens the insights of character structure and, for the first time, presents his map of the human personality to the general public. Many people claim that reading it has been a life-changing experience, which has enabled them to finally understand both themselves and others. And that is true for me. And this is why I got him on the podcast. Stephen does have a course coming out soon that uh, complements the book. So uh, listen to that at the end of the podcast. And for more um, information on Stephen's work, go to the5personalitypatterns.com. All right. So without further ado, I'll leave you in the capable hands of the amazing, the beautiful, the healing Stephen Kessler. Well, Stephen, welcome. Uh, community already know a little bit about you because A, I talk about you all the time and B, uh, I did a brief introduction, but just, you know, f- from your own voice, just explain to people who you are and uh, what you do and, and how you stumbled across this uh, wonderful piece of work. Sure. Thank you. Glad to be here, Lee. I'm a licensed psychotherapist in California. I've been licensed for 35 or 40 years now. How did I stumble across this? You know, I've kind of been um, interested in what's going on with people my whole life. My uh, early training, my bachelor's degree was in acting. I actually went to acting school, which is, you know, a way of finding out what's going on inside someone by inhabiting their body and their experience and finding out, well, why would you do that? Come on, what's going on with that? And then I um, I went to grad school for psychology and got licensed and um, began studying various maps of personality, starting with the Enneagram, was a big Enneagram fan for about 20 years, studied it uh, from live panels with Helen Palmer. And then as part of being in the Diamond Heart Spiritual School, meditation school. And then I um, I joined a class here in Berkeley uh, called Energy Class, where we study working directly with energy and with energy psychology. And there, I began learning about the character structure map of people, of personality. 
And I discovered pretty rapidly that it's actually more uh, true to life and more useful than uh, the Enneagram had been for me. Mm. So uh, that was a huge, wonderful thing to figure out. And I also discovered that there's been a relatively small group of people who've studied it and taught it over the years. There have been only a handful of books about it, and they've kind of all been difficult to read and sort of hidden in the backwaters of psychology and hands-on healing. Barbara Brennan mm. teaches it in her school, but you have to be psychic, you know, pretty much to, to be a student in her school. So I realized that we needed some way to experience this that was more accessible to mm. the general public and to coaches, psychotherapists, sort of people in general, high school teachers, high school kids love learning this kind of stuff. So that's how it, I came to collect all the information that, um, that I had received on it and put it into this book. Mm. that's how you wound up hearing about me yeah and it's a it's a wonderful book and you know i just want to say from the outset I'm, I'm going to obviously be sharing my own personal experience and my relationships to these patterns as we go along but i just want to say that the, the the main thing that it did for me reading your book was raise awareness mm -hmm. of of why i behave the way that i do centrally so exactly Holy cow, that's me, and that's how I behave. And it led me down a path of compassion. It led me down a path of compassion to say, wow, I behave this way because of a wound. And now I know about it. I could do something about it. But it also helped me to look across the kitchen table when I'm fighting with my wife. Yes. And look at look at her with compassion and go, oh, wow, she's like deep in her merge pattern right now. Wow, she's deep in the aggressive pattern right now. And, and it allows me to realize that she needs some help or I need to behave in an appropriate way in order to accommodate or to, to help that. So I just wanted to put that out there. You know, that's what it did for yeah. me. Yeah, I've seen that with many, many people. I get emails like that mm. lots of times. and. It, it seems that one of the main things that we um, that we all believe incorrectly is that we are experiencing all the we're experiencing the world completely. Hmm. That our experience of the world is accurate and that it's complete. <laughs> and neither of those things is true. Yeah, because we're experiencing the world through the filter of whatever personality patterns we have been conditioned into. Mm. I just want to name that a person typically uses two patterns, not just one. So this is not a typology like the Myers-Briggs is or the Enneagram is. It's rather uh, the, the basic idea is who you really are is your presence, your essence. Mm. But then to try to feel safer when in distress as kids, we learn to do certain things. And those things, if they work for us, we'll repeat them and those will gradually develop into our patterns. But a pattern also distorts your perception and focuses your perception on a certain kind of slice of reality. If you think mm. of reality as 360 degrees, you got this slice and maybe another slice over here, and you're missing over half of it. And so, 
that means that we are experiencing only part of the world, but we're experiencing the same part all the time. So we don't have any contrast that will tell us that we're missing some other part. So we think we're experiencing all of the world. And that, of course, leads us to the next incorrect assumption, which is our experience is the same as someone else's experience. Like, so I use the word happy and you use the word happy. Why don't you mean the same thing? How can this be? Mm. Right. And the one of the great things about a map of personality like this is exactly what you were just saying. You can begin to look at another person and think, oh, wait a minute. They're experiencing the world through those two patterns, Mm. which I don't do either of those patterns. I got my own two. And therefore, their experience of the world could be fundamentally different from mine. Mm. And that means they're not necessarily um, wrong or uh, malicious or something like that or deceitful. But they're having a different experience, and it seems just as real to them as my experience seems to me. So maybe it's time to be a little more kind and compassionate instead of, you know, judgmental, which we're uh, all so good at. <laughs> I, I was talking to my community this week about that. You know, if we it's very challenging, but if we can all come from a place of compassion and just uh-huh. to if I look, I look at the patterns and I see safety mechanisms. I, I I see the way that I rage on my wife, say, for example, using that as an example. And I'm now, and this is not justifying raging on your wife, but I then look at it and go, wow, that is a safety mechanism because right now something in the environment or something that she's said has triggered an in- insecure, fearful part of my Yes. Probably in a child, and now I, and my pattern is leaping out to my defense to save me and protect me. Um, yes. Yeah, which means other people are doing the same thing. Yes, it's a safety strategy, and it's not necessarily a good choice in this situation. Right? Yeah, it might not be a good choice. So, but yes, it's a so safety strategy. A person just because you feel scared is often not a good plan. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But if you can step outside your pattern enough to understand that, Mm. then you can say, wow, okay, I can have compassion for myself and I can also realize this is a bad choice and I need to change this choice. Yes. I need to realize, okay, if I'm going into that rage, it's time to say, excuse me for a second, I'm going to go outside now Mm. and stomp around and be really mad, but not at you. Yes. Right. Or maybe I'll be mad at you, but not in your presence because you don't deserve that. Mm. So I'm going to go out in the backyard and stomp around and yell for a while. And I'll be back when I've calmed down. <laughs> Steven, like if you if you spend some time like viewing this house for like uh, reality TV or something, uh-huh. you'd hear you'd hear so many screaming and shouting. But we're not shouting at each other. The shower is the main one. Like, oh, okay. like yeah, and everybody screams and shouts, and everybody goes on about their days if it's if it's okay. I've even got a five a five year old who just. We'll scream and scream and scream, and we're just all like <laughs> carrying on reading our book. Oh, there's Zia. She's very angry right now. And it's completely different to when I was a child. And awareness and knowledge allows you to be vulnerable, I guess, and just go, okay, let's give this a go. Let let's let's allow okay. allow our child to be 
emotionally expressive and let's just see how it goes. And so far, it's really difficult and challenging, but I, I know in here it's going to be the best thing for her and us as, as a family. And is it productive in the sense that does she then discover what she's angry about and what she wants instead? Yes. So that yes. she can come back and say, okay, remember when you said this or we did that or something? I don't like that. I want this instead. Yeah. Well, who's helped us with that a lot is actually Dan Siegel, you know, the um okay. the whole brain, the whole child, the whole brain child. Like okay. learning, learning to be okay, there's my daughter right now. She's well in her right brain. She's really emotionally expressive. At the same time, there's a pattern being activated in me because I was not able to behave like that when I was a child. Oh, yeah. And, right? So then I'm like slipping into left brain. I need to fix this with rational logic. But now I'm able to go, okay, no, Lee, she's in her right brain. Let's meet her in her right brain. And then later when she's calmed down, we can introduce the storytelling aspect to give her a teaching module by using the left brain. And it's yep. really been working really well, really good, working well. Good. Yeah. Mm. It's only taken me, I've got a 20-year-old tw- though, Stephen. It's only taken me 20 years to figure it out. <laughs> well, you know, lots of people die at 80 years old and they never figure this out. Yeah, so it's true. We're a little it's ahead true. of them. So true. Things are getting better. Mm. But yeah, I mean, the... You know, many, many people need to get pretty upset in order first just to realize they're upset, that it kind of breaks through their inner defenses. And secondly, to then start sorting out, okay, what am I upset about? Am Mm -hmm. I scared? Am I sad? Am I ashamed? And, And what's causing it? What do I want to be different? And when they can sort those things out, then we can do something productive. And of course, in the meantime, it's important to have some kind of standards or rules or structures in place about okay you can be mad but you don't get to hit anybody you yeah know? you don't get to bite me <laughs> you, you don't get, get to you know things yeah, or, yeah. Things or anything like yeah. that yeah but it's yeah. okay to be mad mm. and it's okay to let that anger inform you and find out well what am i mad about it's so interesting learning all this stuff like i'm 47 now so like i would say for a decade, I've been, you know, waking up a little bit and learning more about, you know, mm-hmm. stepping out of the matrix, so to speak. And then I'm so fortunate to then have a five-year-old. And in the last five years, actually being able to see my projection, um, see, oh, yeah. see my patterns emerging her and actually be able, she's, she's like a little experiment. And you actually talk about that in the book, which fits into one of the, the I think it's the rigid or the aggressive pattern, actually, where I, like, oh, this is my little science project. But it really is fascinating how I'm healing myself. And at the same time, I'm trying to put the what I'm learning into play to be what I feel I need to be as a guide, you know, as a parent. Yeah. Kids are a terrific mirror. They will show you the effect of what you're doing. Mm-hmm. You know, we as adults get trained to kind of pretend that XYZ didn't just happen, mm. which makes us kind of less effective mirrors to get polite. <laughs> and we just disregard certain things. Whereas, you know, if you yell at a two year old, they fall apart and, mm. you know, start crying. Yeah. And you think, oh, I can't do that. Wait a minute, stop. <laughs> Bad choice for me. Yeah, bad choice. Before yeah. we move in, before we move into the patterns, you you did actually touch upon it uh, earlier on, but I wanted to expand upon it a little bit. In 
most, if not all of the patterns, there is problems with identification to the self, which then leads the pattern to kind of emerge and kind of take control. Could you just explain for the listeners your um, your understanding and your philosophy around the definition of self? Yeah. If you're familiar with the idea from spiritual teachings or meditation teachings of the true self and the false self, Hmm. The idea being that the true self is who you really are. The false self is your personality, the thing that sort of covers it up, your Hmm. ego structure. And the true self is called different things in different teachings, but essence is certainly one of them. Some teachings will refer to it as your heart, although I think essence is maybe a more elegant term because, you know, you can think of heart also as head, heart, belly distinctions, and those are useful, but Heart is not your entire self there. So thinking of the truth of your essence as your true self, or in more religious contexts, they might call it your spirit or your soul. And then to navigate through the physical world and physical life, we all develop an ego structure, a personality. And that has certain general characteristics that everybody has, but it also has differences of flavor. And the the five personality patterns are, um, as you said, they grow out of five different safety strategies. Each safety strategy is an attempt to feel safer when in distress. The problem is shifting from being present, being in your essence, shifting from being present to being in a pattern takes you away from yourself you start seeing life through the pattern instead of complete. And so all five of the patterns are distortions of real life. They they show you a distorted image of yourself and of life. They all tend to be self-sustaining or Mm self-supporting. They all distort your perceptions. They all have their own beliefs, their own kind of automatic actions. And that becomes a a self-reinforcing cycle, which is why they develop into a full-blown pattern and not just a thing that happens occasionally and then goes away. Mm, Thank you for that. Yeah, yeah. And and I think that for the first 35 years of my life, I was probably operating more dominantly out of pattern than I was of self. This is true of most people. Mm. That... We talk about you are your presence, your essence, not your patterns. But for most people, uh, we're so identified with our patterns and so stuck in them Mm. that we stay caught in our patterns almost all the time. And then there'll be those rare moments, like say you're standing on a hilltop, looking out across the ocean at a beautiful sunset, you're there with your sweetheart, you're on vacation, everything is lovely. And for, you know, one moment, you shift out of pattern into just being present and you think, oh, this is so wonderful. Mm. But what happened was you shifted yeah, uh, because you felt safe enough. And most people, if you ask them, you know, like, why do you behave like that? Why do you do this thing that your pattern dictates and you don't seem to have any control over it? They will tell you how identified they are with that pattern by saying something like, well, that's just me or that's That's the way I am. 
the way I am. That's who I am. Because that is the way they think about it. Mm. I said that because that's my, that's my, whenever I talk to my mom and dad about stopping smoking or trying to get healthier, that that's uh-huh. what I always get. I always get about, no, no, Lee, this is who we are. Stop trying to change us. Leave us alone. This is who we are. Um, okay. So let, let's go into the first pattern then. So I actually, oh. I actually identify parts. I have two dominant, but I identify parts in four of the patterns. The one that I don't identify with that much is the one that we're going to start with. And that's the leaving pattern. So okay. you just explain to the, the, okay. the listeners about the leaving pattern. Yeah. And the way for you or anyone to discern which patterns you tend to get caught in is not to look at the personality traits of the pattern. People tend to do that because they're trained that way from other maps of personality. The way really, since these are based on safety strategies, the way to tell which patterns you really do get caught in is to look at what your body does and what your mind does as you get distressed. Mm. So starting from some experience, some time, moment, when you feel really safe, happy, loved, safe, everything is good, no problem, to then a little annoyed, a little frustrated, a little upset, this is not much, just a little bit, and then a few notches higher, a little more, and then like pretty much more, a lot frustrated, da-da-da-da. As you go up the scale, notice what you do, what you say, what you think and feel inside. Mm, yeah, great advice. But watching what you do in distress, not your daily personality traits. Right, right. Okay, I like that. So, and what you do in distress will be um, some of these five safety strategies. Mm. So the five strategies are leaving, merging, enduring, aggressive, and rigid. That's the name of the patterns. But the the first one, the leaving safety strategy and the leaving pattern is you're, you know, something is scaring you, you get away from it. You leave the room, you leave your body, you just get the hell away. With the merging pattern, the safety strategy is the opposite. Instead of trying to go away from the person or the things that are upsetting you. Instead, you go towards the people that are there. Some person, try to connect with people and get them to solve the problem, get them to take care of you, to soothe you, to stop the problem, something like that. Mm. So instead of going away, you're going towards somebody and connecting with them. And the need is always to be connected. The third safety strategy, the one used for enduring pattern, is that you pull your energy in, you send it down into the lower body, lower part of your body, and even into the earth itself, and you hide. You pull your awareness and your energy in, send it down, you hide, you hunker down, you kind of let the storm blow over. This is a strategy used by a child who cannot win the fights in the household. Mm. Maybe mom and dad won't let you win, or maybe you have older brothers and sisters. You can't possibly win against them. So at some point, instead of trying to win, you shift your strategy to trying to avoid losing. Mm. And the way to avoid losing is to not play the game. Don't, Don't join the contest. Don't fight. So that means you don't express yourself 
You don't act. You don't do anything. You pull in, you hunker down, you hide. Problem, of course, is you get stuck there. Fourth safety strategy, you do the opposite to the third one. You bring your energy up, bring up as much energy as possible into the upper body, and you throw it out at other people to try to force them to comply with you. Mm. So it's a strategy of intimidating, scaring, dominating other people, kind of beating them into compliance. Sometimes the beating is physical. Mm. More often, it's not physical. It's just, you know, throwing anger at them. But it it relies on having a big flow of energy that you can then direct at people to try to intimidate them into doing what you want, which will make you feel safer. Mm. Clear so far? Yep. Yep. With you. And then the fifth one, the rigid pattern, is different in that it it causes your mind and your body to get more rigid and your thinking and feeling to get more rigid. It does that because you kind of um, constrict your physical body, like in rings, segments down your torso, to sort of choke off or diminish the flow of life energy through the core of your body. So you don't feel as much. And that makes it easier to shift your attention from what you feel inside to what's happening outside and to your performance. Are you doing it the right way? And so your attention goes from what you feel to obeying the rules, following the rules, following the forms, saying and doing what you should be doing. That becomes the rigid pattern. So we can go into each of those in more detail or. Yes. Yeah. Let's let's. Uh, yeah. Thanks for that summary. Let's let's start with the leaving pattern. So I got some questions actually that I I just sure. or some some notes that I just pulled out here, and then you can expand upon it. What the first question I, I put here was with the leaving pattern. There was um, you talked about disassociation. You know, right. like leaving the body. So talk about that a little bit. And my question is. Does alcohol help someone in the leaving pattern in that respect? Because in in a way, by drinking and and getting yourself numbing and blacking out, it's kind of a form of disassociation. That's why I was thinking, but I just wanted to ask your your opinion on that. Yeah, I wouldn't wouldn't say it's dissociation in that dissociation is that you take your awareness away from the body, but your awareness remains aware. Mm, Right, which you can't when you're out when you're drunk. Yeah. There's no awareness. And, uh, yeah. Blacking out is snuffing out your awareness. Mm. What alcohol tends to do is to dull your awareness. Mm. And I would say that since being present, being in your essence, uh, being fully alive means being completely aware of everything you're experiencing. That's being with yourself, being in yourself. All addictive habits, all the drugs or you know addiction to work or to fame or to beauty or to being funny or whatever it might be all of the um addictive behaviors are ways to shift your awareness away from yourself mm. so that you don't feel whatever difficulty is currently happening in yourself it's a way of dulling the pain by getting away from yourself and in the case of certain drugs alcohol included, uh, there is a a chemical dulling of your ability to feel pain. Mm. You know, with the barbiturates, with alcohol, there is a certain amount of anesthesia. 
But alcohol does something very special. It doesn't just anesthetize you to pain. It dissolves your inner critic. Mm. And the inner critic, that voice that says, well, you should be doing this, you know, good boy, bad boy, good girl, bad girl, all that stuff. That voice that keeps you in the box that mom and dad laid out for you, the Mm. good child box. That inner critic voice is a voice that many people are very identified with, and it runs their life. Now, ideally, as a person uh, develops their ego structure somewhere between like six and 10 years old, the last major structural change in their ego development is that the inner critic separates from the core self and becomes a separate voice. So now you can hear your own voice inside and you can also hear the voice of your inner critic. Mm. For most people, if you listen to it carefully, your inner critic, you'll realize at some point it's it's a recording of mom's voice, dad's voice, Uncle Billy, the priest, the teacher, whoever was, you know, big influence on you growing up. But what you've done as a child is record their voices and kind of smash them all together, mix them all together into this voice of the inner critic. For some people, it's very recognizable as, you know, oh, that's exactly my mother's voice. Yeah, yeah. That's or my that's dad. my father's voice. Sometimes it's even... If, say, mother or father spoke a different language or spoke English with an accent, the inner critic voice has that accent. Mm-hmm. Interesting. It's really quite amazing. Interesting. But yeah. Alcohol is particularly good at dissolving your inner critic. Mm. And since the inner critic is the one who's telling you, you know, don't do this, don't do that, don't do the other thing, be a good boy, don't run with scissors, don't hit your brother, don't embarrass yourself, don't yell at that person, don't whatever. When that part gets dissolved, all those inhibitions get dissolved. Mm -hmm. And that's why people who are drunk on alcohol will do things and say things that they wouldn't do if they were sober, things they wanted to do, you know, Maybe they're dancing topless on a tabletop. Yeah, yeah, been there. Maybe they're calling some ex-lover going, why don't you love me? I want you back. Yeah. But things that they their inner critic would stop them from doing if it was still functioning. Yes. But yes. it's been kind of put a- away temporarily by the alcohol. Yes. And, and then- that's the main reason we drink alcohol, in my understanding. It's just a... To a lot to to somehow in a compensatory way do what you really want to do, but you don't have the confidence to do it without it. I mean, like if you if you're yeah. listening if you're listening to this, like as Stephen's saying, you know, like um, alcohol is good at dissolving you the critic. Yeah, it is, but like you know, at the same time, you know, for me, my work has been okay. Let's develop a relationship and understand this inner critic. And then see what it wants, what it's what it's worried about, what it's afraid of, and try to to recognize it and work with it. Uh, versus like what I used to do, which is just drink it away. Yeah, it's almost like um, that short term instant gratification need versus long term. How do I want to live? Like how how do I want to yeah. be? How what yeah. my relationship to yeah. self going to be? Yeah, 
And the first step is to recognize that the inner critic's voice is not actually your own voice. Yeah, yeah. It's not the voice of your... Self. It's not the voice of self. Self. Yeah. And you might want something, like you might want to say something to someone about, you know, I really miss you and I I wish you still loved me. Mm. But that doesn't mean drunk dialing them necessarily. No, 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 no. Yeah, it's... Um, I got a good example for you, actually, Steve. It's yeah. like my my there's a I know through my conversation with my mom that there are a million things she would want to say to my dad, mm-hmm. um, but she she doesn't. Like there's a there's a there's a there's um a defense mechanism within her which the inner critic is a part of, which won't allow her to express how she feels. But when she's had a drunk, when she's had a drink, man, she hammers that guy. Like she okay. hammers him, and it's because she's got so much frustration and she's so annoyed and frustrated and angry with him. And she's, and she's under, she feels subservient that all of a sudden when, when she drinks, she can be what she wants to be, which is I'm going to fucking tell this guy what I think about it. Right. Yeah. So she's a little closer to feeling and knowing the truth of what she feels and wants, Mm. but she's not skillful in that moment about saying it to her husband. No way. Because what we want, obviously, in the long run is not only to know it, but to be skillful in actually saying it so that the other person can hear it and the relationship can shift and you can get more of what you really want. Mm, yeah. And you know, when communication she... is not just yelling at the other person. No. And, and when she's doing it, he's drunk as well. So it's just like two pe- it's just not going anywhere. But it is what it is. Talk about like in the leaving pattern, you mentioned the the self being shattered and fragmented and and the yes. important role of reintegration, if you could talk about that. Yeah, the we're talking about these patterns in a certain order because that's the developmental order, the order mm. in which they typically develop in terms of the age of the child. That's not absolute, but in general, that's true. Mm. And the leaving pattern is the youngest in that it typically develops maybe when the baby is still in the womb or soon after birth. And it develops because the the spirit coming in, the intelligence coming into that body, doesn't find itself feeling safe and warm and loved enough. The, The environment, the situation seems scary or dangerous. So the incoming spirit flees. Bounces back, goes back to the spirit world, which is a lot safer. The problem with that is the developmental task of that early time is the task of embodiment. That is that the spirit has to come into this particular body, this body in this baby, in this womb, claim that body as its own. If you think of psychological attachment theory, it's usually thought of as one human being attaching to another. Here we're talking about the attachment of the spirit to the physical body. Mm. If the spirit doesn't really claim that body and make it its own and land in it and stay there, it's not able to develop a felt sense of the core of that body. And it's not without having a felt sense of core. It's likely under pressure when someone else is angry and yelling, for instance, it's likely that only a fragile sense of self will have been developed. And under pressure, that fragile self will literally fragment, Mm. will come apart into pieces 
Then the person finds that they're not only not in their body anymore, but they can't even find a center to operate from. That's really, really scary. It's like if you can imagine being like floating in a black void, you can't see anything, you can't hear anything, you can't touch anything. There is nothing there, not even your body, not even there is, you have awareness, but awareness of nothing. And you can't find any center to recollect around. Mm. So it takes sometimes days to bring your separate pieces back and reassemble yourself. People who really get caught in the leaving pattern are vulnerable to this kind of shattering under a lot of pressure, saying someone else is really mad at you and throws a big bolt of energy of, of anger at you. You shatter and you could be gone for days. I've known people actually who would get so shattered they could no longer form English sentences. You know, a native English speaker yeah. who could hear things coming in but wasn't quite sure what was meant and would try to say something back and couldn't find the words. Wow. An outsider looking at this thinks like, what is going on with you? Why are you doing this? You're like, this must be a choice. Mm. Because the outsider has not experienced this kind of shattering, mm. doesn't understand it, doesn't even know it can happen. A person who is so shattered feels first just terrified, second helpless, and they really want to avoid letting that happen, which is one reason that when they see danger coming, like, oh, so-and-so is angry with me, I'm getting out of here right away mm. because I don't want to let that shattering thing happen. Right. So I've known people, for instance, really caught in the leaving pattern who would not go to a party with more than three other people. I was going to say, I, I imagine there's this, this distrust of the world, right? Like they're worried that they're, they're always in like sympathetic nervous system state waiting for something to activate yeah. them. So they can't they, they can't concentrate, they can't calm down or concentrate or enjoy themselves. They experience the whole physical world as cold and unloving. And by contrast, since they still are able to go back to the spirit world, they experience the spirit world as warm and loving. Now, you're not individuated in the spirit world. Hmm. You know, if you dissolve into the ocean of divine love, you're just a drop of water in the ocean. Hmm. You're not an individual. Hmm. The thing about coming to the physical world is you become an individual, which means you can have experience and you can learn from your experience. Many people mm. say that's why we come here, because we can learn here. You can't learn as a drop in the ocean of divine love. Mm -hmm. It's really it's, lovely, but you can't learn. This week I had a, I had a client, actually. Um, it, was a, it was the first time I worked with someone who exhibited this type of pattern you know where uh -huh. he he was talking about how safe and secure it feels when he's in his spiritual practice when he's when he's out there when he's tuned <clears throat> into source and he said recently he he was cut off for him he, he couldn't access it and he started to worry but then he he looked at it as oh it's a sign that I need to create a sense of self I need to ground exactly. I need to find my core and he was yeah. terrified 
but aware enough to do the work. Do you know what I mean? Like he, he, cause he'd done so much work. Yeah. Great to practice core. And it's a skill. It's an attentional skill. It's not rocket science. Anyone can do it. Mm. It does take practice like learning to ride a bicycle takes hours of practice. That's okay. Core and grounding. That is the connection down into the earth so that you feel connected here and you feel the support of the earth. Because in reality, the earth is friendly. But if you never connect, you can't find that out. You know, many, many native cultures refer to the earth as grandmother earth. And they mean the good grandmother, the one who would meet you at the door with a big hug. And she would always have, you know, hot chocolate and cookies. And she'd love for you to sit on her lap and tell you all whatever is going on with you. (laughs) <laughs> you are you have a you have a wonderful guided meditation in your book actually around grandmother earth and uh-huh. i was i was using it with a client recently and as we finished she was laughing and i said what's the matter and she said she said i hated my grandmother <laughs> and i i had just gone through this guided meditation she was like imagine your grandmother she's like I, I hated my grandmother but she was laughing you know it was like it was it was funny but I've actually, since I reread the book in preparation for um, this interview, uh, the last three days, I've actually woke up in the morning. I've taken my shoes and socks off. I've gone into the garden and I've really got my feet and dug into the earth. um, And I've really imagined my core and I've done some deep breathing. And I've really tried to focus on myself saying things like, I am we and listening to like mm-hmm. who I am and trying to just quieten the parts, quieten the patterns, and then come into the maelstrom of the family home. Yeah. And I'm going to keep it going. Like you say, it's a practice, an important one. Yeah. Now you talked about with the leading pattern there about going to the spiritual world, uh, yeah. but also reading a book. What, what I related to a little bit was because it, when I was doing my elementum coaching with Christine Hasler, some of the feedback they were given to me, Lee, you're in your head again. Lee, you're in your head again. Lee, you're in your head again. And, and I was reading in the leaving pattern about feeling uncomfortable about being in your body and then right. scooting up into the head if you don't scoot right. up into spiritual. Right. Talk about that a little bit. Well, rigid pattern also tends to live in the head. Mm, yeah, that's so my, my that's that's my secondary pattern. Yeah. A different uh sort of different motivation, but the same outcome, the same behavior. And for leaving pattern, it's, yeah, living in your head and in your ideas and not really inhabiting the rest of the body, not bringing life energy into the rest of the body, because where your attention goes, your life energy goes too. So if your attention does not go to your whole body, then your life energy doesn't go there and the body stays kind of weak and fragile and disjointed and not well integrated. And that can happen for people who get really caught in right. um, in leaving pattern. It, is that because there's a safety in like rationality and logic versus feeling? If you're in the general abstract impersonal world, you don't have to have personal feelings. Oh, Having okay. personal feelings is scary. Yeah, yeah. And can be overwhelming. Mm. Mm. I don't know how long we have here. I'm wondering how we're doing in terms of proportion and getting to the other we booked we, we booked two hours so um oh, okay so yeah, we if, can go we can go yeah, along if that if that's okay with you you that's know okay. like yeah i would i'll talk to you all day long but yeah i <laughs> i know you've got you've got a life let's um move into the merging pattern 
Yeah, let's move into the merging pattern. And and again, I found this interesting and, and there's something came up this week with a client that I'd like to talk to you about. But just uh, talk about the merging pattern a little bit in general. Yeah, so this is the the next oldest, you know, a little bit older, already born in the nursing period. Mm. Uh, this pattern was originally called the oral pattern because for a, a child who's nursing, their attention is on their mouth and on the taking in nourishment through their mouth. The developmental task of this stage is taking in, taking in nourishment in the form of milk and taking in nourishment in the form of love, taking it into the body, holding it in the body, that is having a container that will hold this energy and digesting it so you can use it for yourself. Taking in feeling full and then being ready to say, okay, I've had enough and then digesting it. If a person can take in and hold and uh, feel full, they probably don't get stuck in the merging pattern. Mm. But if something is getting in the way of taking in and holding and digesting the, the love and the milk, the kid can have problems and get stuck here. And the things that can be a problem aren't necessarily that any person is doing anything wrong or bad or anything like that. Say mom is uh, living in a war zone and there are airplanes flying overhead and dropping bombs on the house, you know? Mm -hmm. She's terrified. Her body feels terrified. The child feels it. And it's like, no, nah, I, I, you know, an upset baby can't drink and hold. They'll tend to throw up the milk. Yeah. My, um, my wife, my wife had problems feeding Zia, my five-year-old. She wouldn't latch on and she wouldn't, she okay. just wouldn't latch on, you know, and, and uh, my son as well. Similarly, we we had to express in the end because he couldn't latch on. And I formulated this this vision, reading this of um, the baby that's that's on the breast, mm -hmm. and they're sucking away while they're sleeping. And then eventually, you can just poke them, and they'll just fall off like a big fat slug, <laughs> and be, because they're full, like, and they're yes. done. Versus the child who's crying and screaming because they continually want milk or nourishment or they need right. something they're not getting yeah. yeah and in this pattern during the nursing stage actually crying out for help from others is the healthy natural thing to do mm. a child who's scared who's hurt who's um too hot too cold who's hungry that kid cries mm. a child who's distressed in any way cries mm. yeah. and the cry brings help ideally. And the helper's job is to figure out what's the problem and how to solve it. Mm. The kid can't figure out how to solve it. They can't tell you about it. They're too young. They maybe can't even distinguish. They don't have words for, you know, I'm hungry versus I'm tired or, uh, you know, I have pain in my stomach. I need to be burped. It's mom and dad's job yeah. to figure that out. But crying brings help ideally, and the help solves the problem. A person who gets stuck in merging pattern is stuck in that situation, being the needy baby who's crying out for help. Mm. And so connecting with other people is the focus of their attention, not getting away, but connecting. So they practice 
all the skills of connecting. They become very good at reading other people and telling, what are you feeling? What do you need? Who do you need me to be for you? And, you know, changing themselves to be whoever is needed. I identify with this pattern a little bit. I'm not quite sure, like you said, whether I utilize this when I'm in distress. I'm not quite sure I do. It's more of a personality thing. Yeah, M- you might have more... the skills yeah. without actually doing it. Oh, you're... yeah, that that's the thing as well. Like, yeah. actually, such fun is really skills. You were talking about um, in each pattern the, the range, and I, as I was reading it, I was thinking to myself, "Wow, if I would have read this book ten years ago, I would have been completely different." than I am today because of the work that I've done that allows me to recognize when I'm in pattern, even without reading your book, right? Like, mm-hmm. I don't know these patterns exist, but the behavior still happens and I'm right. doing things to change it. So then when I read your book, I'm like, oh, I'm like that. And then I recti- I change and I say, no, I used to be like that. I'm not like that yeah. so much anymore because yeah. of range. Yeah. And what we want ideally is to wear our patterns lightly. So we don't go into them unless we get really distressed and we're able to identify quickly, oh, I've gone into pattern and this is the pattern I've gone into. And here's what I need to do to get out of pattern and come back to being present. That would be the ideal. Yeah. So a good example. So what Stephen's saying to everybody, because obviously Stephen's knowledge in his book on this is vast, so we can't fit everything in. But each pattern, (laughs) you could say it has a curse, but it also has a gift, right? Um, so, oh, for yeah. example, in the in the merging pattern, for example, when like for me, so part of what get at, the merging pattern for me that shows up is trying to get my needs met through other people. So yeah. whilst that is whilst that is not a really great choice, at the same time, the how do I do that? So the way that I do that is I'm very skillful at communicating with people and connecting with people, which is kind of like a gift. Of this, of one of these parts. Yeah. The holiday period is a challenging time for people trying to change their relationship with alcohol. Most take on this challenge alone, most fail. And you don't have to take this path. The Strive community is our refuge, a place where like minded people can guide and support each other as we change our relationship with alcohol by changing our relationship with ourselves. Join today and receive over 120 coaching videos in the Strive Method and access our community through daily video check ins, weekly online meetings, and monthly online coaching sessions from yours truly. Head to www.1000daysober.com to learn more. Without further ado, I'll put you straight back to Stephen Kessler. To make any of the patterns work for you, you have to have the talents to do whatever that pattern requires. Yes. And you, in doing the pattern over and over, you are practicing that, that skill or that set of skills. There's a whole set of skills. Yeah. For pattern. You're practicing that whole set of skills and you're developing those skills. You're honing those skills so that you get better and better and better at that particular set of skills. Mm. And that becomes the gifts of that pattern. Ideally, we would it would be best to be present, but have all of these set of sets of skills well developed so that whatever the situation really needs, you can recognize and you can apply the skills needed. Mm. There are many times when being able to read other people and see what are they feeling, what do they need, how can I help them with that? It's a great set of skills. 
And you can do it in a healthy way. You don't have to go into merging pattern to do it. Merging pattern is there, or you're caught in merging pattern when whenever you get upset, whether it's a good choice to do this particular set of behaviors or not, this is where you go. And you do this whole connecting and trying to get them to fix it thing, even if this is not a good solution to this particular situation. Mm, yeah, I see that. I see I see this part, the pattern a little bit in myself and, and a little bit in my wife as well. Talk about the, the needs thing a little bit more. So it wasn't un- until recently that in my work where I was still slipping into, I'm in a relationship with my wife and here are, the, here are my needs and you're not showing up for my needs. And then, then it was like, hang on a minute. Am I showing up for my needs? What are my needs? Uh, um, am I intimate with myself? Am I loving to myself? Am I exactly. playful to myself? Talk about that a little bit. Yeah. In order to know what your own needs are and then take action to get what you need directly or ask other people for help getting it, uh, the first thing you have to do is develop a sense of core So you can then reference that because in your own core, and by core here, we're talking about, think of a column inside your body from the very crown of your head, straight down through your body to the bottom of your torso, to your perineum. And that is the place in your body where you are the most you. That is where the answers are to all your questions about, am I happy? Am I sad? Am I scared? Do I, am I hungry right now? Am I thirsty right now? Do I love this person? Do I want to marry this person? Do I want to take this job? Do I like this dog? Right? Mm. All those answers are in your core. They're not in your left hand. They're not in your thumb. (laughs) They're not in your foot. They're not in your nose. (laughs) They're in your core. So you have to be able to bring your awareness, your attention to your core and Check there for the answers to your questions. Mm. A person who does merging pattern has learned how to read other people's core. What are they feeling? What do they need? But has also learned to ignore their own core. Mm. Not bring their attention there because if you know what you need and you want something that the other person doesn't want, it might lead to conflict. Mm. Then we might have a fight. They might go away. They might leave you. Terrible. Can't have that happen. Mm. Right? So it leads to a not knowing yourself. And part of the practice, again, to come out of merging pattern is developing a felt sense of your own core. And how does that relate to energy as well? Because, you know, with the merge pattern, there's this difficulty in creating that energetic charge in cells and keeping energy intact, right? right? So, uh, again, no strong felt sense of core, no grounding into the earth, not much energetic edge or boundary. Mm. And the energy boundary is different from the psychological boundary. There have been a lot of books about psychological boundaries. Mm-hmm. That's good material. It's terrific. The energetic boundary is similar, but it's it's actually a different thing in that it is a, a reality in the energy world. And the energetic boundary 
both creates a container which holds your energy in and keeps other people's energy out. You can make it a filter so it doesn't let other people's stuff just drift into your space. If you have a container, think of it as like a jar that holds water. If you have a jar, you can pour water into it and the jar will fill with water, right? You can get full. Mm. If your jar has holes in it, doesn't matter how much water you pour in, the water runs right out. You can never get full. Right. So we have holes in our energetic boundary. And it's important to strengthen the energy boundary. For leaving pattern, similar problem, no core, no grounding, not enough edge. And that's why they feel easily overwhelmed by other people's energy coming. Oh, wow. When I, so I, my wife, I read in the merge pattern. I obviously you read it and you think about people, you know, and I was like, okay, this is like, I think my wife identifies with the merge pattern a lot. When we first got together, I was going through a divorce Mm -hmm. and she listened to me like nobody had ever listened to me. Mm -hmm. And at like a, I didn't know this at the time. It's a terrific skill, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is. But then like a parasite, I latched onto this and mm-hmm. just poured and poured and poured all of my energy into her. And because her energetic boundary wasn't as strong as it could be, she absorbed it all. And then later, many years later through work was like, I didn't like that. I need a heal around that. That was wounding for me. I didn't. And I was completely unaware. I just was like, oh, here's a really great listener. She really helped me. But I actually, in the way that I was interacting with her as a couple, it was damaging for her. There's actually a fourth energy skill, which she was missing. And the fourth skill is called me, not me. Mm. It's the skill of recognizing what is me and what is not me. Another person's feelings, another person's thoughts, another person's problems are not me. Mm. You know, your problems and your feelings are not your wife. Ideally, a person who is able to listen really skillfully is able to put attention on you and really understand what you're saying, but does not then take the energy into their own Mm. body and into Mm. their own bubble. Yeah, yeah. They let it they let it stay outside so they can understand you and hear you and empathize with you but they it doesn't in a way contaminate them or fill them up or replace yes. their own life energy. And, and she she's she's an energy worker it's like she's a massage therapist so now she's oh, okay. she's, she's worked on that to be able ooh I'm feeling this energy I don't want that energy and this is really interesting because even today I'll go downstairs and I'll be a hundred mile an hour, like in, in my, in my pattern to do. And she'll be like, Lee, I can't take this energy right now. I Mm -hmm. I need some peace and space. Mm -hmm. And then another pattern will get activated because I'm like, she trying to tell me what to do. She's trying to control me. It's so interesting. Our patterns activate patterns that activate patterns. And this is the source of the never ending fights that, that couples often have. The problem with the never-ending fight is what one person does to try to feel safer, in fact, makes the other person feel less safe, feel Mm. scared. Mm. They then automatically start doing their pattern behavior, their safety strategy to try to feel safer. 
But the one that they go into makes the first person feel scared. Yeah. So it becomes self-reinforcing. Yeah. Yeah. If you have a different situation where like one person gets scared and they go into their safety strategy and the other person can observe it and it doesn't scare them and they just hang out with you and go, yeah, so I hear you're you're really scared. That's bad. What can Mm -hmm. we do? Or even if they do get scared, but what they do then to try to feel safer actually helps the first person feel safer. Then it goes from scared, do your safety strategy, other person scared, but what they do makes first person feel safer. They calm down. That causes second person to calm down. And now both people are feeling calm and connected again. Hmm. Did you know um, on that, the one that that worked for me was Mm -hmm. I would, because of my rigid pattern, I would, and we'll talk about that in a little bit, but I would would be seeking for the truth in a fight, Mm -hmm. which would really bug Liza. And then I'm I'm poor, I'm getting into my aggressive pattern as well. and, And she doesn't want that energy. So she, at some point she would say, I am leaving. I am not having this conversation anymore. Really strong boundary. But I wasn't taking it as a strong boundary. I was taking it as a form of control. So then yeah. I would I would then continue. And then in you the had ins- a mistaken belief that it's your right to throw energy at anybody for yes, yes. you need to offload it. Yes. And now she's taken away from me. And I'm like, no, no, no. I've still got more grenades to throw at you. Now <laughs> <laughs> talking about this self to self in the post in the repair phase of the fight. It's kind of like, Lee, I really need you to respect my boundary. When I say leave, I just need you to leave so I I, I don't hurt you and you don't hurt me. So I was like, okay, it took me so long to get that. And even even now, it is so uncomfortable. When she says leave, I go to say something and I would say nine times out of ten, I'm like, and I leave. (laughs) But it's so hard. This is how intense these patterns are, right? Yes. Well... Jumping ahead to aggressive pattern, Mm. part of the the delusion, and each pattern has its own favorite delusions, one of the delusions of the aggressive pattern is the belief that, well, I get to treat anybody any way I need to so that I feel better. Yeah. And if it makes them hurt or scared or ashamed or something, tough luck. It's like, I have the right to invade anyone else's territory mm-hmm. and say or do anything just so I get to feel better. Yeah, yeah. This is not healthy. <laughs> it's not a good choice. <laughs> it's a sense of entitlement. Yeah. And every person who does aggressive pattern at some point in their healing journey will have to come up against that. And some healer, teacher, person that they're working mm-hmm. with, with will have to say to them, listen, here's the deal. You can either have this entitlement to just blast people at will, or you can have the kind of loving connection that you want, Mm. but you cannot have both. No, no. There's going to be a consequence. There's going to be a consequence. And then then hold the person in it because the person will try to, you know, they'll get um wiggly and they'll try to get out of it so no i don't have to choose i don't know i can do that and the teacher has to stay clear like Mm. no you know this is true Mm. and you know the the person in aggressive pattern will keep checking inside and go god it really is true i hate that it's true 
but it is true. I can either have my entitlement to just blast people into submission, or I can have this loving connection that I want. I can't have both. And you have to come to a a point where you decide, I'm willing to give it up. And then there's a period of mourning. Hmm. And then you have to retrain yourself to, okay, I'm upset. I'm scared. I'm angry. I'm upset. And I don't get to just blast you. What else can I do? Uh, <laughs> I'm, new. I'm new at this, you know? I let me let me share actually that moment for me because I think it could be quite educational. I was being coached by David Burns, who wrote Feeling Good, and he's a cognitive behavioral therapist. And oh. David was saying to me, cut a long story short, he's basically saying to me, So you know that when you when you rage and you shout and you behave in this way, you you hurt your wife. Like, yeah. yeah, I know that. I know that. Okay. And he's like, so are we are we willing to give that up? Mm-hmm. Simple, simple question, right? You think most people would say, yeah. I I I went into I thought about it and I was like, no. I said, I, I don't want to stop hurting her. And he said, Why don't you want to stop hurting her? And I was like, I just feel this compulsion to hurt her. And if I don't, she's just gonna walk all over me and I'm gonna be nothing. And he's like, right, okay. There's if a you, if you want to keep hurting her, you're doing a great job. I can't help you anymore. I can help you stop hurting her, but I can't help you hurt her. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. And he was like, what? What's going to happen if you keep hurting her? And then I had an emotional release. And I said, I'm going to have two children on two different continents, two XYs that hate my guts. I'm going to be the loneliest person in the world. And he was like, is that what you want? And that helped me then to say, well, no, I don't. I, I, I have to now stop hurting her. Yeah. And then, then the work began, you know, and I wanted to share that because for me, when I said, yeah, I want to hurt her, I, I wasn't expecting that. Mm-hmm. It didn't feel like the societal yeah. way to react. And respond. Yeah. You know, we've talked about how merging pattern or a person caught in merging pattern is really good at feeling other people, but not good at feeling themselves, mm. not able to really reference their own core because their own core isn't developed. Mm. A person caught in aggressive pattern is the opposite situation. They're very good at feeling their own core and referencing themselves, but not skillful at all in referencing other people and seeing what they're feeling. Mm. So a person caught in aggressive pattern typically doesn't realize how much they're hurting and scaring the other people around them. They kind of have this thought, this belief that it's a freebie. They're like, well, I can rage and I can, you know, force them into submission. And it didn't really bother them that much. It didn't hurt. I mean, they're just crybabies. Yeah. You know? I, 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 on that, like Liza would say to me sometimes, stop shouting. And I'll say, I'm not shouting because my version of shouting is not her version of shouting. And I really need to understand what her version of shouting on the is. Spectrum. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So important. It's, oh, wow. That's shouting. I must be really hurting her because I'm up there. With, yeah. what I, with yeah. what I think is shouting. And there's there's voice volume, but there's also the energetic package that you're throwing. Mm. You can think of it yeah. like throwing a medicine ball, a really heavy ball. Mm. You know, if you take a, a heavy ball and you throw it at someone, when it hits them, it knocks them over. Yeah. That's literally what a person does when they're caught in aggressive pattern. Mm. Thank you. 
And for other people, it will often feel like a wave of energy hits your body. Yeah, I need to get away. And that's what, you know, in, in my darkest days, my feedback from Lizo, I need to get away from you. Like, I, I need to get away from you. I cannot be in your in your space right now, you know, and respecting that and doing the work right. of boundaries. It's a recognition right at this moment. I am not a safe person. Yeah. I am not safe for you to be around because I can't control this energy. The safest thing for me to do, the best, the kindest thing for me to do is leave the room. Yes. Go somewhere else and have my tantrum, but not at you. Mm. So like I'm going out in the backyard. Yes. Stamp around oh, and try to kill the entire earth for a while. <laughs> I, I will I will be able to come back and be calmed down, but it'll take half an hour. Mm, yeah. Well, thank you for that, Stephen. Um, on the merging, yeah. on the merging pattern, again, with a client this week, I just wanted to just mention this to you and see what you think is um I had a client who was um trying to smoke, trying to stop smoking weed. Yeah. And uh, we were talking about uh one of the patterns he has is Every time he eats, he doesn't feel full. Yeah. And he has a what he calls a unhealthy relationship to food. Mm-hmm. And when we were talking about the merging pan, he had his own light bulb and was like, oh wow, I I'm refusing food from Mother Earth. Mm-hmm. I'm not digesting it. It's not making me feel full. Mm-hmm. I've never felt full. The only thing that makes me feel full is smoking weed after I've eaten, and then I feel full. Like that's what he was saying. Yeah. And I would guess that part of what would happen when he would smoke weed is he would lose touch with his body in some way mm. or with, with, with whatever part of him was not feeling full. So, again, the weed, the addiction is taking him away from his self. Right. Yeah, of course it is. Yeah. And replacing it with a different feeling, a mm. sort of synthetic feeling of feeling full, just like the attraction for cocaine is it makes you feel confident. So if you feel if you're full of self-doubt, you can snort some cocaine and now you'll feel more confident. It's not a real self-confidence. It's not based on really being in touch with yourself and actually having a track record of success and mm. competence. But you will feel confident and you will go try to do something. Yeah, and alcohol will be the same. And they, they said the other thing with the emerging pattern that I saw was um, wanting to be that bastion of making sure everybody is, is having fun and everybody's doing yeah. really well. Yeah. And yeah. I was thinking to myself, that is one of the biggest problems when people can't stop drinking alcohol. It's because they, they can't get away from that. They need to... Make sure everyone's having a good time. If everyone's drinking, then they have to do the same thing, you know? Yeah. I'm not sure that drinking alcohol makes you need to make sure everyone else is having a good time. There are lots of people who drink alcohol and they don't really care if other people are having a good time. So oh, yeah. I'm, I'm talking. I'm, I'm talking. Yeah. I'm talking about the people who are drinking because of the fear of the abandonment. Yeah. So like, yeah. so my job is to make everybody happy. Everybody's drinking. And if I, if I don't do what these people are doing, I'm going to be abandoned. Like, and I need these yeah. people. Yeah. That I need to be connected with them. And yeah. so I will do whatever they do. Yeah. Yeah. But we can see that in many forms 
It could be, I will get straight A's like they do, or mm. I will be a an athlete like they are, or I will be uh, beautiful like they are, or yeah. I will be smart, I will be funny like they are. You know, it could be any anything, I will join this group because I want to be a member of the group, I want to belong. That's the main thing I want, so I will be like the other people in this group. Mm, I don't mm. think it's limited to joining them and drinking alcohol. No, no, totally true, totally true. And then there's the compensate, compensating merging. Compensated merging. So if you think of merging pattern as sort of the baby-mother dyad, that, that script, that interaction between baby and mother, that the, the baby has a need and calls out the mother to come and fix it, what needs to be connected to mom. The compensated merging pattern is you switch positions, you switch roles into being the good mother. Mm. So now you're still ignoring your own needs, but you're paying attention to the other person's needs and you're going to fix their needs. And, you know, you can get hired for lots of jobs with this, this talent, this gift. <laughs> <laughs> and you will, you will work yourself to death taking care of their needs while ignoring your own. Is this like uh, playing the hero, you know, going into that drama triangle of playing the hero and trying to fix everybody, but you're doing it not because you want to fix people, you're doing it because you, you're, you're getting something out of it. It's very self-centered way of being. Usually the hero part is done more by people who are caught in the aggressive pattern. It's a certain uh -huh. flavor of the aggressive pattern. Being the re the hero, the white knight, rescue the white knight. Yeah. Mm. Now, rescuing other people is definitely part of what a person caught in compensated merging will do, mm. and the compensation will have the flavor of one of the other patterns. So, if a person is caught in compensated merging and it has the flavor of aggressive pattern, that gives them a, a real possibility of doing the rescuing heroic thing. Mm, okay, thank you for that. Um, enduring yeah. this, uh, yeah. this talk a little bit about the you can't make, you can't make me and that the whole right. down. So pulling your energy in, sending it down, hiding, hunkering down, and then you get the strength of the rock, the immovable mm. object. You can't make me. Now, you notice it's not like I can win. I can enter the game. I can play the sport. I can enter the contest and I can win at least some of the time. It's I can't win, but you can't even make me participate. You mm. can't make me play the game. And I will just hunker down in quiet suffering and resentment and never take action. So this becomes the strong silent type. Mm. The, you know, I don't speak, I don't act, I don't do anything, I don't finish anything, I don't succeed at anything. You know, I go to college and I take a bunch of classes, and uh, in the last semester, I fail enough classes that I never graduate and I drop out, and I don't get the degree and I don't get the jobs, and I just, you know, stay a janitor for my whole life. Yeah, and I, I have a client who <clears throat> displays the enduring pattern and has a real pride in it, which, uh -huh. which and I mean, if you think about it, if you That's identify, pride. yeah, if you identify with the pride of this, I can take it, I can take it, I can take it, I can take why, it. Why, why on earth would we change it, which becomes a problem in itself, right? Oh, yeah. 
And for each of the patterns, there can be a secret pride in, you know, I'm so good at this set of skills. Yeah. And the person is right. They are really good at this set of skills. And because a person tends to do two patterns, not just one, they've probably got two big skill sets that they're really good at. So, you know, it's legitimate to have real pride in your set of skills. However, if that particular skill set is not getting you what you want in life, not working in this particular situation, what's the problem with that? Maybe we need different skills Hmm. because refusing to participate, refusing to play the game is not the road to success in most things. It's a way to stop uh, being the kid who loses every time because you're refusing to participate. You're refusing to play the game. Yeah, I'm I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to stop drinking because if I do, I'm going to fail and everybody's going to think I'm a loser. So I'll just keep drinking. There, yeah. there are some there are some really interesting ones that come out of this when I was reading that I that really spoke to me. Mm-hmm. One of them was that you write about always saying no mm-hmm. before thinking about anything. I was like, oh, my God, every time I ask my dad for anything, my dad would always say no. And now I notice when somebody asks me something, I immediately get upset and angry and annoyed and I want to say no. And then I have to stop myself and say, what the heck? She just wants to ride somewhere. What, yeah. What's all that about, Stephen? Yeah. yeah. Well, the problem for a person caught in enduring pattern is that as a child, somebody, maybe both parents, were invading them and controlling them and not letting them have successes at things. Right. So. There's always tension between parents and child and between one kid and other kids in the family. There's always contests and tension and pushing and shoving and stuff like that. For most kids, if you're able to win enough of those fights, you get some sense of, okay, well, you know, I can win some of the time and here's what I'm good at. You know, I can win by being smart or I can win by being funny or I can win by being pretty or... I can win by being nice. Mm. But if you try everything, and a kid does try all five of these safety strategies when they're growing up, Mm. you can watch them as a parent, try out one after the other, and come back repeatedly over and over to each safety strategy. And based on the situation they find themselves in, the culture, the religion, the town, the community, the family, the parents, the other siblings, their own inborn talents, they will be able to pull off some of these strategies and other ones they can't pull off. So the ones that will not work for them, they will abandon. You Mm. know, they might try it over and over and over. And then finally they'll go, this isn't working for me. I got to try something else. When they find a couple that do work, they repeat those. And those grow into their personality patterns. So a kid who gets caught in enduring pattern wasn't able to win any fights or enough. And I've heard stories from clients who are really deeply stuck in this that, you know, basically before before memory even started, mom and dad were on them all the time. We're just, no, you can't do that. You can't do this. You stop that. Uh, the phrase, no child of mine will do that, mm. it, it even obliterates the kid. Mm. Or say, 
you you go to um, uh, kindergarten, mm. and today we do finger painting, or today we ha- we do crayons, and and you make a picture, and you bring home your picture, and it's a five year old picture, but it's you like it, it's you made it, and you're proud of it, right? And you you show it to mommy or daddy. Now, what you want is for them to say, oh, Billy, what a wonderful picture. This is great. We'll put it on the refrigerator. And whenever people come over to visit, we'll go, look at the picture Billy made. Didn't Billy do a great picture? And Billy gets to feel, yay, I'm wonderful. I'm special. I do good pictures. I want to make more pictures, right? So we want mom and dad to say, what a great picture. We'll put it on the refrigerator. People will come over. We'll say, look at what a great picture Billy did. Isn't Billy wonderful? And Billy will shine and say, this is wonderful. I'm a wonderful kid. Let's make more pictures. A parent who's who's not letting Billy win will say, oh, good picture. We'll put it on the refrigerator. And then when other people come over, they'll say, look at what a great picture my son made. Mm. So they're appropriating credit for it. It's not that Billy did it. It's that my son did it. Mm. I, in some way, get credit for this. And Billy will feel like, oh, I wanted credit for that. Mm. I wanted people to turn to me and go, oh, good job. And instead, they're admiring mom, right? So he Mm. gets this message of, well, it doesn't matter how good a picture I do. I don't get credit for it. And, you know, after like five or 10 iterations of that, he gets pretty bummed and he thinks, I'm not making any more pictures. Screw you all. He's starting to develop the enduring pattern. He's refusing to take part in it. And that's the thing you were talking about before with your dad, that the automatic first response to any request then is no. No. Not necessarily an angry no, but a no. A refusal. Without even thinking about what it is. It doesn't matter what it is. It's just no. And in dealing with a person who's really caught in enduring pattern, it's important to know that there will be a no as the first answer. It's not the real answer. Mm. They didn't even have time yet to evaluate it. They'll need time alone to Mm. consider it before they can come up with their real answer. Yeah. So the first no, you just let it go by and you say, okay, well, I'll ask you again tomorrow. Yeah. The amount of times I've said no. Mm-hmm. And then and then I've then I've come back and said yes. And then my wife or whoever said, Well, what did you say no for? And I've said, I, I don't know. I, I don't know why I said no. And then I read your book. I was like, oh now I know I say no. And that picture thing you talked about so eloquently about look at the picture my son made. Mm-hmm. I really get, I really get pulled to that. I get pulled mm-hmm. to finishing my children's sentences. I get pulled to making, wanting to tell people how good they are and how good they've done. Mm-hmm. Like, like mm-hmm. it's like they're an extension of me. Exactly. And that's the problem. Like they're an extension of me. Mm. They don't want to be an extension of you. No, they want to be themselves. And naturally you're proud of them. But your job as a parent is to help them feel proud of themselves, Mm. to legitimately take pride in something that they've done, you know, well enough. Yeah. They they don't have to, their picture doesn't have to be better than Picasso or 
Michelangelo or somebody. It just has to be what they did. Yes, I'm feeling so. I'm I'm feeling my um my my parts of my enduring pattern. I can I can sense it, uh, particularly around my children, which is really super interesting. So thank you Mm -hmm. for that. Now, aggressive. Now, the way you're describing it, it may also come from aggressive pattern. Aggressive aggressive pattern is my primary pattern. Like when I was reading your book, (laughs) I basically highlighted the entire aggressive pattern (laughs) chapter. So let's talk about that a little bit. So just as enduring pattern is pulling in, sending the energy and attention down and getting stuck down there and then getting from that, getting the strength of the immovable object, the strength of the rock. The idea of aggressive pattern is pull energy up a great deal of energy and become the irresistible force to just mm. throw a lot of energy at other people or whatever you want to move to force them to move. So it's a way of using force to coerce people into giving you what you want. Yeah. Because the fear behind it is if I just ask, they won't give it to me. The fear is I'm here alone. No one cares. It's a Mm. jungle out there. You have to fight your way to survive every day. And I have to do this all by myself. And I just have to fight. I have a, I have a question around this that, that, um, cause so far, well, all your patterns, they're, they're developmental in age, like, like, Mm -hmm. like Eric Erickson's psychosocial stages. Right. But when I think of the aggressive pattern to me, do you know what I think of Stephen? I think of being 10 years old, moving countries in a new school, being called a chink because I'm half Chinese and and my dad telling me to fight. So my relationship to the aggressive pattern has been age 10 until I read your book. And then I, then I realized to myself, Oh, wow. So my father had abandoned me emotionally and my mother, I fell into the betrayed love aspect. So she, she used me as a surrogate husband because I was the eldest of four children. My dad was emotionally, physically vacant. So then I was like, oh, now I can see the roots of it at much younger, but my memory of it really kicking in is at 10. Yeah. In a situation where you had to fight for respect mm. and you were able to fight for respect. Not endure. I- yeah. Yeah. I didn't have to I mean, endure because I, I could fight. Yeah. Yeah. If if you had just been completely stuck in enduring pattern, you wouldn't have fought. You would have just endured it. You had the choice of, okay, I can bring up enough energy and fight for this, and I can win enough of the time that this is a, a worthwhile strategy. Now, in order to bring to to pull that off, in order to make that work the kid has to be able to bring up enough energy. If you can't bring up enough energy and throw enough energy at other people, you know, you're like trying to be big and strong and intimidating. And they look at you and they go, come on, Jimmy, like, please. You know what? You're not scaring anybody here. Mm. You have to be able to get big enough to scare people. That is so important, Stephen. You know, like I've had, I've had fights where I've had no energy. So my someone's someone's having a go at me about something and I know I need to fight to protect and I've had no energy. And then I've had a fight where someone's called me a chink or someone's mm-hmm. um, tried to abuse my family 
And now all of a sudden I get that energy and it's a yeah. very different fight. I'm a very different yeah. person. Yeah. Hmm. And again, we you? always need to distinguish between a response that is appropriate to the situation. Hmm. There are times in life when a person needs to pull up a big energy and fight in yeah. order to survive. Yeah. And being caught in a pattern, which means that you do it automatically, even if it's a really bad solution right now, mm, like yeah. being scared or upset or even just confused at something your wife just did does not mean that the best solution is to be really angry and yell at her. Mm. Right. That's yeah, probably not yeah. going to help at all. No, it didn't. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a there's a grandiosity to this pattern as well, I recognize. Oh, there is. Because, yeah. because, do you know when you said you can fight? Well, I can fight, but it doesn't mean I ever won. But there was a grandiosity about me that was like, I don't care how big this kid is, I'm never going to give up, and I'm just going to keep getting off the bloody mess off the floor, and I'm going to keep going at him, and That's he'll right. tire out. He'll tire out before I die. That was my That's mentality. Right. That's right. You can kill me, but you cannot make me surrender. Right. And that physical aspect mm -hmm. also came into my relationship with verbal fighting. I yeah. will never give yeah. up. I will beat you. I will keep going at this until you tire. Yeah. No. And while that kind of response works up to a point in the schoolyard in fighting with other boys, it doesn't work in a romantic relationship. <laughs> No, it's not. It's not going to get you loved. Right. It's not going to develop trust between the two of you. And the developmental task for this stage is trusting other people. The wound is not having felt that you could trust other people, feeling betrayed <laughs> by other people. And then the response is, OK, if I can't trust you and I can't depend on you, I will do it all myself. And then, of course, yeah. you end up feeling alone. And we, we skipped one. Task for the first pattern, leaving pattern, is embodiment. For the second mm. one is taking in. For the third one, the enduring pattern, the task is putting out. It's expressing energy out of the body. Mm. Now, that's self-expression, saying mm. what's going on, saying what you want, having feelings, saying what you feel. And it's taking self-action putting energy out to do things, to say things, to express yourself in the world. So taking in and then putting out, here we've got trusting others. And then for rigid pattern, the task is trusting yourself. It was interesting because I read in the aggressive pattern, a fear of vulnerability and a fear of relying on others. And I, and I said to myself, oh, I'm not afraid of vulnerability, but I'm afraid of relying on others. And I said, oh, that's being vulnerable. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Like, instead yeah. of fighting and yelling, why don't I go to them and I say, hey, I I really would love it if you would do this for me. How do you feel about that? Will you do that? You know, instead of doing that, you're starting to yell and demand it. Mm. This is not a great idea. Yeah, yeah. And we, are, and we haven't talked about this yet, but sex, I mean... Yeah, I I identify with the aggressive pattern sexually as well. So when I'm having sex, there's a there's a like a, my foundation, I guess, is to dominate and to control, which mm -hmm. is very similar to my aggressive pattern. Mm -hmm. And then I started thinking, I wonder mm -hmm. if sex sexually 
there's a there's a relationship with each pattern as well, like the the enduring pattern yeah. and so each pattern does have sort of typical stances mm. in sexuality. And as you say, for aggressive pattern, I mean the the overall pattern stance is I want to be in charge, I want to be mm. in control, I want to dominate, and I don't want to need anything from anybody else. Mm. You know, my needs are disowned and ignored, and I'm pretending I don't have them. So I'm just going to yell at you until you give me what I need without me ever asking for it. Mm. And then you get the same thing in sexuality. Mm. Yes, very interesting. Um, And finally, the rigid pattern. This was my, if you say the aggressive pattern was my primary, rigid pattern was definitely my secondary. Okay. Um, Yeah, talk about that a little bit. Yeah, so the rigid pattern, the fifth one, is different in that it usually doesn't start from a traumatic wounding that the child experiences. Instead, it usually comes from a parent who also does rigid pattern, who is teaching this to their child as this is the right way to be. We have these rules and we have these standards, and this is what a good child does. So, you know, comb your hair, brush your teeth, wear clean clothes, stand up straight, Um, say yes, sir, and no, sir, say please and thank you, don't run with scissors, don't chew with your mouth open. My word, you sound like me. (laughs) And basically the message is there is one right way for everything. And our rules tell you the right way. There are many different right ways. The right way for the Communist Party is one thing, The right way for the Libertarian Party is different. The right way for the Catholic Church is completely different from that. The right way for, you know, the San Francisco Summer of Love thing is really different from the Catholic Church. Yeah. It depends what set of rules you're adopting. So the rigid pattern is that instead of feeling into yourself, and finding out what your heart and your essence wants and what what's true for you, instead of referencing yourself or referencing the other person, you reference a set of rules. Hmm. And then you do what the rules tell you you should do. And here's where the person gets really identified with their inner critic. So that frequently a person who's caught in rigid pattern actually believes that their inner critic voice is their own voice even more than a person who's not caught in rigid pattern does. Interesting. <clears throat> Interesting. I definitely identify it as my mom and dad, please and thank yous, rules around everything, um, mm-hmm. around the no. Everything was a no. There was rules, but everything was a no. And Liza said to me, my wife, uh, when we had Zia, that she real she recognized that I'm, I'm always saying, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. And then the other one I noticed the other night is – just before bedtime, Zia will come to me and say, can we play Doll's House every night? It's like a routine. And then depending on what time it is, because she goes to bed at certain times, more rules, I'll say to Alexa, Alexa, set an alarm for 30 minutes. And then we play for 30 minutes. And it's it's almost like I, I, the other day I was thinking, oh, my God, she's going to grow up thinking there are time constraints around play. Stop doing this, Lee. What are you doing? You know, it's like, it's classic rigid pattern. It, yeah, but you are playing with her. 
I am playing with her, yes. She so maybe I'm using the gift. You play with me and you say, yes, I will play with you. And we only have this much time before you need to go to ah, bed. So I say, maybe it's a gift. Maybe I'm using the gift. Well, you, you are playing with her. Yeah. You know, yeah. part of what will happen for a person who's really caught in rigid pattern is that play and spontaneity in general has to be avoided because it might lead to disorder and chaos. I mean, just spontaneity. Ah. Things might come up. You might say something. You might do something that's against the rules. Yes. We have to keep everything in order, and we have to do it by the book, and you, you can't let anything spontaneous happen. Yes, yes. Which is so, why people in a rigid pan can't have fun. They find it really difficult to have fun and be silly and exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because being silly and laughing is not something you can do by the rules. Yeah, it's too spontaneous. It mm. requires being spontaneous and kind of being emotionally present in the situation. Do you know what, what uh, when I was reading the, this part of the pattern, <laughs> the one that spoke to me the most, I see in all of my clients, right, is, um, is criticism is caring. How many clients are like, I'm just trying to tell her, I'm trying to help her because I love her. I'm trying to give her feedback. <laughs> and it just, it was, it was like criticism is caring. It was like, oh, wow, I need to have compassion there with that one. Yeah. It, it's only for people caught in the rigid pattern that we think, mm. and people really identified with their inner critic, that we think criticizing other people is a way of caring for them. Yeah. They can be quite surprised to just, uh, you know, a person caught in the rigid pattern can be quite surprised to realize that when I criticize you and correct your behavior or correct your thinking or correct, correct your pronunciation, that you don't feel loved. <laughs> you know, well, that's the way my mother loved me. Why don't you feel loved? Yeah. You know, and then you have to like walk it back and go, wait a minute. When mom did that to me, was I really being loved? No, I was being trained. She was training me in her set of rules, and I misinterpreted it as love. Yeah. And yeah. now it may have also been accompanied by love. Maybe because she, she wants did. you to do the right things. Yeah. And maybe she does genuinely love you at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Let me give you two different sort of um, examples here of, of alcohol use for mm. rigid pattern and maybe a person caught in merging pattern. So with rigid pattern, if you drink alcohol, it will dissolve your inner critic. And then it's more okay to have fun. All those times you wanted to just cut loose and dance or, you know, tell someone you love them or say like, let's go have sex or whatever, you know, you wanted yeah, yeah. to do something that was against the rules. And finally, you can do it because your inner critic is currently passed out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, you're liberated from the, the thought police of the inner mm. critic. A person who develops the merging pattern, for instance, which is a very heart-centered pattern, think of that person growing up, for instance, with two patterns who or two parents who do the rigid pattern. So the two pattern parents are caught in their inner critic, and they're very critical of their child growing up. Say it's a daughter. Yeah. The daughter is heart-centered. And she really can't get with this set of rules because her heart wants something different. She doesn't want to give up her heart. Mm. She doesn't develop the rigid pattern. 
But she does develop a very strong inner critic that is constantly telling her she's not good enough. Right. There's this constant feeling of I'm not enough. I'm not good enough. I'll never be good enough and feeling shame about it. And then this girl gets to be a teenager or 20 or whatever, maybe goes to college. And for the first time, she discovers alcohol. When she drinks alcohol, it dissolves her inner critic. And she finally can feel like I'm enough. She is also a candidate for alcoholism. Yeah. Because it releases her from that prison that her inner critic was keeping her in. She can finally feel good enough, smart enough, pretty enough, whatever it was. Yeah, I can see some real value in doing more work around educating people on the inner critic as it relates to alcohol. You know, it's absolutely, Mm. absolutely. And the idea, I mean, the healthier path is to do the inner work to identify your inner critic and then disidentify from it, separate from it psychologically, Mm. and then actually be able to take a stand against it and oppose it. And retrain it. Actually, the the stance I found most useful is the way you would train a big dog. Say you had a a Great Dane or a a German Shepherd, a big, fierce dog, right? Mm. You've got to be the alpha dog. You've got to be able to say, sit and mean it. And the dog gets it and they sit. Mm. And so you have to, what you're doing is claiming the driver's seat. You're saying, you know, on this bus, I get to drive. You don't get to drive. Mm. And I know you're trying to help me out. I know you're trying to keep mom's love and all that good stuff. By the way, mom's been dead for 10 years. Mm. But you don't get to drive. I get to drive and you sit. Thanks for sharing that one, Stephen. And that will take away the need for the alcohol. Mm. Because the relationship with the inner critic will be different. And now instead of it being an 800-pound gorilla and you weigh two, you know, 100 pounds and it beats you up constantly, you get bigger and stronger, it gets smaller, and mm. you can order it around. You can say, no, no, shut up. I'm not, shut up. I'm not doing it today. Um, yeah. Steven, thank you very much. I really appreciate that. I know you've got a, a course coming out, right? Tell us about it. I do. I do. I've already taught several video courses which are available on my website. Website has exactly the same name of the book v5personalitypatterns.com. The first was a course just on the material in the book, basically. The second was a course on developing the inner skills we've talked about, core, ground, edge, me, not me, several Mm -hmm. others, all skills that um, a healthy adult needs to have, but we don't get taught in this society. The, The course that I'm teaching after Christmas, it's about how to develop better relationships. Mm, beautiful. How to actually improve your relationships using the wisdom of the five personality patterns way of understanding human beings. Mm. So I'll be teaching a um, a free webinar to introduce people to the this course and the material in it. That happens, I think, on the 19th of January. Mm. And um, people can find out about it by going to the website. The website. And then the the actual course will be seven weeks long, seven teaching units, hour and a half live video each week. Uh, and that will be in February and March. Wonderful. Okay. Well, guys and girls listening to this, 
This work has been absolutely life-changing for me in my relationship with my wife more than anything. I'm a relationship with myself. Yeah, and really ask Stephen. And then, because this is what it's all about, folks. You know, when you're drinking, really, a lot of the times it's a relational issue, whether it's relating to your inner critic, whether it's relating to your wife, your mom, your dad, your kids, whatever, you know. So go and check out uh, Stephen's website. We'll leave the uh, information in in the the show notes and take his free webinar and take his course. Uh, Stephen, have a wonderful Christmas. And thank you you very much for showing up today. I really appreciate it. Very glad to do it. Thanks for thanks for your interest in this, Lee. I really yeah. appreciate your help. If you're a man and you're feeling a little lost, maybe you hate your job, argue incessantly with your partner, feel sexually frustrated, can't relate to your children and struggle to find meaning and purpose. If it is challenging to healthfully express your emotions, if you've got childhood wounds and you don't know what to do or where to go, then I have a safe refuge for you. The Wildman Group is a safe haven for men to talk to other men about how it feels to be a man. We interact on the video recording platform Marco Polo and we meet online on Zoom to share and be held in those moments by other men. If you would like to join us, then email me at 1kdaysober at gmail.com to learn more. Thanks very much for listening and supporting the 1000 Days Sober podcast. I love you all and wish you all a wonderful holiday.